You know, for the most part, we are a very sentimental people. We like to reminisce a lot about days that are past and gone. And even though uh, for many of us those days that are past and gone included cars with no air conditioning, houses with open windows and attic fans when it was 110 degrees outside, we still call those the good old days. And over the years there have been a lot of popular songs that have been written about remembering things. Do you remember a song many years ago? I do. Some of you probably don't. But the four lads recorded it. It was entitled, Moments to Remember. January to December, we'll have moments to remember. The New Year's Eve, we did the town. The day we tore the goalposts down, we'll have these moments to remember. I could actually sing the whole song. If you... Oh, okay, I won't. Then there was another song that was written by Tom Jones and... Harvey Schmidt. It was actually a part of the musical comedy The Fantastics in 1960. The first song in the whole play is encouraging the audience to try to remember. Try to remember the kind of September when life was slow and oh so mellow. Try to remember the kind of September when grass was green and grain was yellow. Try to remember the kind of September when you were a tender and callow fellow. Try to remember, and if you remember, then follow. Well, in our text this morning, Jesus is wondering about the memory of His disciples. Because Jesus and the disciples are in a ship. And Jesus asked them the question. He says, do you not remember? Or as Philip's translation puts it, have you forgotten? Reading the passage where our text comes in Mark 8 verse 18, and then reading the entire context around that passage, I think I can sense some of the frustrations that Jesus felt. I have no doubt that it was sometimes very, very hard for Jesus Christ to be patient with those blundering disciples. I'm quite certain that there were many times those blundering disciples of His made Jesus want to literally pull His hair out. You see, in the passage where our text comes from, in that context, Jesus has warned His disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Well, in the typical fashion that they always did, they've missed the point of what Jesus is talking about completely. I actually think sometimes as I read the Gospel accounts and I I read the the life of Jesus and the disciples that He chose, the twelve that followed Him so closely, I sometimes think their IQ level must have been about the same as Mo, Larry, and Curly. Because they failed constantly to understand what Jesus was trying to teach them. And they failed to understand His warning 
was not about baking powder or baking soda. His warning was against the doctrine, the teaching of the Pharisees. But when Jesus used the word leaven, He misled them. That's what threw them off track. Because when they heard the word leaven, the only thing their feeble minds could think about was bread. And hearing bread, they took stock of their situation and realized they're on this ship and they've only got one loaf of bread, and so they immediately have an anxiety attack. And it was this anxiety they were having over that one loaf of bread that filled Jesus Christ with a pained amazement. If you think about it, in light of their experiences with Him, Jesus could not understand how these men could be so worried. After all, Jesus had always met all of their needs in the past. And they should have trusted Jesus that He was going to meet their needs in the future. And the fact that they had an interest in bread, that was really not what Jesus found disturbing. What Jesus found disturbing was their lack of faith. Jesus is not for a moment minimizing the importance of bread. But what He is seeking to teach is that Jesus Christ is willing, He's ready, and He's able to meet and to supply all of our needs. So He asks the question, Do you not remember? Have you forgotten? I want to read the entire paragraph in Mark chapter 8, beginning with verse 14. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And Jesus charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, you know, he could read their minds, he knew what they were thinking. When Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, why reason you because you have no bread? Perceive you not yet? Neither understand? Have you your heart yet hardened? Having eyes you see not. Having ears hear you not. And do you not remember? Have you forgotten? When I broke the five loaves among five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took you up? They say unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took you up? And they said, Seven. And he said unto them, How is it that you don't understand? Jesus has an interest in the physical needs of our lives. 
Jesus knows we cannot live by bread alone. But He also knows we can't live without bread. So Jesus is interested in the bread that gives life to the body. And He's interested in the bread that gives life to the soul. I think that's something we forget about. Or maybe it's something we fail to understand. And that is that Jesus Christ is interested in the physical, temporal things in our lives. And that's a concept that has resulted in a lot of harm. The fact that we fail to understand it. Because failing to understand it, it's a concept that is not quite practical. Because Jesus, our Lord, is interested in everything that interests us. Jesus never drew that sharp distinction between the secular and the sacred as we so often do. Think about what happens when you make a cake. Your cake pan is an 8-inch round one or a 9-inch or a 9 by 12, but your cake pan's a big pan. And that cake pan is not compartmentalized, is it? You don't put the sugar over in this compartment and the butter in this compartment and the flour in this compartment and the milk or the buttermilk over in this compartment. The butter, the sugar, the flour, all the ingredients in that cake. A little cocoa maybe or some German sweet chocolate goes good in there. But all those ingredients in that cake blend together. And they go in that cake pan and they permeate the entire cake. And it all blends together and mixes together and it makes something that's delicious inviting and fattening. That's the way life is when Jesus Christ becomes a part of life. When Jesus becomes a part of life, religion, Christianity, spirituality permeates every part of life. For Jesus, spirituality permeated the entirety of of life. Because Jesus knew that for someone to be religious on holy days and in holy places was not in reality to be religious at all. So Jesus comes and Jesus is interested in the physical things of life as well as the spiritual things of life. If you really look at the life of Jesus... Jesus never concerned Himself merely with the souls of men and that alone. In fact, you might can find it, and if you can, please tell me where it's found. But in all my years of studying the Scriptures, I've never seen a time where Jesus walked up to someone and said, How is your soul? Jesus knew that men and women were composed of both body and 
Spirit. But Jesus was not interested in bodies. And Jesus was not interested in spirits. And you're going, huh? Jesus was interested in people. Jesus was interested in men and women and boys and girls. And Jesus knew that man was a son of Adam and a son of God. And Jesus also understood that we are a unit. And Jesus was interested in the whole, the entirety, the complete individual. I'm also certain of something else. I'm quite certain that Jesus knew something of the tremendous influence of the mind over the body. And it's really amazing how much your mind can influence your body. I never will forget, this has been nearly half a century ago now, but I was working at First Federal Savings and Loan, and there was a young lady there fresh out of high school that was one of our receptionists. She answered the telephone. and Somebody came up with the idea one day to, let's just do an experiment of how much the mind controls the body. And so there were about ten people that were in on this. And the first person walked up to her and called her by name and said, we'll say her name was Susan. It wasn't, but we'll use Susan. Susan, do you feel all right? Well, yeah, I'm fine. Why? You just don't look like you feel very well this morning. Oh, I'm okay. About 15 minutes later, somebody else, Susan, what's wrong with you? Nothing. Why? You just don't look well. Do you feel okay? By noon, she went home sick. The mind can influence the body. But if the mind influences the body, so the body can also influence the mind. This body is the house I live in. And if this body comes to a tumble-down ruin, I may still be sound in my soul, but it won't be easy to be sound in my soul. All other things being equal, it's far easier to be genuinely Christian with a sound body than with a body that's tortured by disease. It's much easier to be sunny and optimistic and have a great outlook on life when we feel fit rather than when we feel unfit. And we recognize this. And in our everyday life, every day we make apologies for ourselves and for others. How many times have we said, well, I'm sorry, I'm just not myself today. How many times have we said that? How many times have we had that said to us? And here's a news flash for you. If I try... To make everybody around me miserable. Just because I'm miserable. And I've known people that did that. If I try to make everybody around me miserable because I'm miserable, then I am an exceedingly selfish person. Think about Elijah for a moment. 
Elijah was one of God's chosen men. Elijah was a tremendous man. By nature and by grace, Elijah was one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. But in spite of his greatness, in spite of him being a man chosen of God, we find Elijah one day whining and complaining like a spoiled child. In fact, he tells God that he's had enough. And he wants to die. I'm just ready to die, God. Just take my life. Great saint that he was, winning the great victory over the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. He's not even honest. Because you know what? When Elijah says, take my life, it's not worth it, I just want to die, God. He really did not want to die. If Elijah had really wanted to die, he wouldn't have had to go to God about it and he wouldn't have had to pray over it. He could have just stopped over in Jezreel for two or three days and I can promise you Jezebel would have taken care of his wish to die right then and there. And you can read all about that in 1 Kings chapter 19. Beautiful. It's a great story. If you carefully read the story, though, you realize that Elijah is playing the part of the spoiled child because of exhaustion. Elijah is physically and emotionally exhausted. And the very first step that God took toward bringing him to himself was to feed him. And he gave him a sound night's sleep. So since Jesus is concerned about the individual, Jesus is keenly interested in bread. And it's an interest that runs through the entire ministry of Jesus Christ. Think about the time that Jesus walked through a wheat field with the disciples one Sabbath day. While on that journey, the disciples gathered a bit of grain to eat. When the disciples gathered that grain, the Pharisees were outraged. But Jesus defended His friends with Scripture and with common sense. He cited the example of David and He said wisely, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Jesus was concerned about bread in the days of His flesh. And Jesus was concerned about bread after His resurrection. There's a beautiful story told in John chapter 21. Peter had said, I'm going fishing. The others joined Him. They were out on the boat fishing all night long. And as, it was dawn, as dawn was breaking and they were making their way toward the shore, they saw a fire on the shore. And someone said, that's the Lord. And Peter jumped in the water and swam to shore to beat the ship there. And sure enough, it was Jesus. And he asked them, he said, children, have you any meat? Because there was Jesus. The disciples had been, Peter and the others had been out fishing all night long. And there was Jesus with a fire built, fixing breakfast for them on the seashore. Jesus was concerned about bread even after his resurrection. And that's something we need to remember. Bread is God's gift. This was a request. Jesus taught us to pray for. 
in the model prayer. He said to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Have you ever looked at that prayer? Have you ever really taken the time to notice the order of that prayer? Jesus told us to ask for bread before we ask for forgiveness. Jesus taught us to pray for bread before we pray for victory over temptation. Jesus knew something that you and I often lose sight of. Jesus knew that we were not prone to be greatly concerned about forgiveness if we're tortured by hunger. He also knew we were not likely to pray earnestly to be delivered from temptation if we have starving, hungry children tugging at our clothes and asking us for bread that we can't give them. In the same way, are you listening? Sometimes we need to learn to meet the physical needs of those we'd take the gospel to if we're going to gain a hearing from them. Or to put an off-use phrase in a different language. For us to impart our knowledge of God to others, they must first know that we care about their needs and take an interest in their lives. Jesus taught us to ask for bread because all bread comes from God. When we forget that, when we forget that all bread and all blessings come from God, it makes us fools. Now don't step back. Go over to Luke chapter 12 and there's a rich farmer there. And his barns are filled to overflowing. And he said, what will I do? I have much goods laid up for many years. I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my old barns and I'll build greater barns and I'll have a place to put all of my harvest and then I'll say to my soul, Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And then who shall all these things be which thou possessest? He thought because he had barns filled to overflowing, he could get by without God. Every one of us must lean upon God to supply every physical need. God was the one that called that farmer a fool. God gives us bread as we cooperate with Him and as we cooperate with each other. Think about the time that Jesus fed the 5,000. It was a cooperative enterprise. All successful dealings with the bread question it must be so. To produce bread, we have to cooperate with God. You see, I remember hearing my grandfather talk about when he was a young man growing up on a farm in Oklahoma. Great-granddaddy was a Christian farmer. And my great-granddaddy was a man of prayer. W.T. Bryant was a man that spent a lot of time on his knees in prayer to God for all of his needs. 
But in the springtime, when it was time to plant, W.T. didn't ask God to plant corn in one field and sow oats in another and plant wheat somewhere else. That was what he had Merle and Charlie and Verse and Walt around to do was the planting. He knew that cultivation and reaping of a harvest was a matter of cooperation between man and God. It was man and God working together. Take a look at the picture of the judgment in Matthew 25. To one group of people, those on the left hand, the king says, Depart from me, cursed. To another group on the right, he said, Come, you blessed of my father. Why the difference? Why was one group turned away while the other group was made welcome? The charge against the group that was banished was in part, I was hungry and you gave me no meat. Those commended were welcomed into everlasting life with I was hungry and you gave me meat. Jesus Christ puts a great emphasis on the way we treat other people. There's another story in Luke chapter 16 that if possible seems even more stern. It's about a certain rich man and a beggar named Lazarus. This rich man was clothed in purple and fine linen. He fared sumptuously every day. And there was a beggar laid at his gate full of sores. He just wanted the crumbs that fell off this rich man's table. And the dogs came and licked his sores, it says. And we're told that in the course of time, the rich man died and the beggar died. The beggar died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man died and was buried. It says in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. What was his sin? What was the sin of that rich man? He didn't set the guard dogs that he had caged up on this beggar to run him off the place. He didn't call the local constabulary to come and put this beggar in jail and run him off. He didn't take him and have him stoned. He just didn't do anything. He just let him die of neglect. Jesus wants us to have concern for our fellow man and the needs of their life as well as ours. We must take Jesus Christ seriously with this concern about bread. Do you remember the story of Cleopas and his companion from Luke chapter 24? Cleopas and his companion, who's not named, are on their way home after the crucifixion of Jesus. They're dejected. They're downcast. Their world has come apart. They're utterly heartbroken. And along the way, as they're walking toward home, a stranger joined them. And the stranger so charmed them with his conversation that they almost forgot their sorrow. And when they reached the door to their humble little home, they invited the stranger to come in and to abide with them, to have supper with them. He accepted the invitation. When they sat at supper, we're told that Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And it was then that their eyes 
were opened. It was then they knew that they had taken Jesus Christ home with them. And Jesus was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Cleopas and his companion, their lives were never the same after they took Jesus home with them. Zacchaeus, the tax collector that climbed a sycamore tree, Jesus said, come down, I'm going home with you today. His life was never the same after he took Jesus home with him. Yours won't be either. It's his invitation as we stand and while we sing.